There is one memory from my first year of rabbinical school living in Jerusalem that particularly stands out at this time of year. It was two o'clock in the morning, the week before Rosh Hashanah, and we were sitting in the great synagogue attis of the glorious Aleppo community in the neighborhood of Nachlaot near the Shuk in Jerusalem. On the advice of a professor, a group of students had decided to venture to visit this well-known Sephardic synagogue. Established in 1901 by Syrian immigrants, the community is famous for its late-night slichot gatherings. Slichot, from the verb salach, or to forgive, are penitential prayers that Jews recite leading up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And this particular community was really an incredible scene. All the men of this ancient Syrian synagogue gathered together after midnight, sipping strong tea and taking turns leading the chanting of slichot prayers for hours until sunset every night. If you read the 11th century text Maxor Vitri, one of our first Sidorim, our first prayer books, it says, it is a custom to begin on the Saturday night before Rosh Hashanah, to rise early to the synagogue before the sun rises and to beg for mercy. Almost a thousand years later, we are continuing this tradition as a congregation. Tomorrow night, the Saturday night before Rosh Hashanah, we are having our own version of a slichot gathering. It's not at 2 a.m. and you don't have to stay till sunrise, but we will be studying and praying together in the same spirit of slichot, of a sense of penitence, of forgiveness. Many Reformed Jews, including some of you here tonight, may be unfamiliar with this ritual. I don't remember it from when I was growing up in Texas. But it is a wonderful opportunity to spiritually prepare as individuals in community for Rosh Hashanah. It gives us a more intimate, more informal space to begin the process of reflection and tshuva, of repentance, that defines the High Holidays. The Slihot service has one fundamental part that all communities observe, whether you're from Syria or San Francisco, and it's the repeated recitation of the 13 attributes. So my goal for us this Shabbat is to study this prayer together as a community. I have to admit, I thought it was going to be printed a little bit bigger in your Shabbat handout. So if you have really good vision, um, <laughs> like if you, we have several bat mitzvah students in the sanctuary tonight. If you have really good vision, you should be able to see where it says current worship schedule in the middle of your Shabbat handout. We printed the text that we're gonna study tonight. Um, if your vision isn't, um, even I can't read this. If your vision isn't quite that good, I'll make sure to read the text aloud so you can hear it as well as see it. This text from Exodus 34 comes right after Moses has received the first set of Ten Commandments. He comes down from Mount Sinai, proudly carrying the sacred tablets in his arms, 
and to his great dismay, he discovers that while he was on the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, receiving this incredible revelation from God, the Israelites have built an idol, a golden calf, and they are now worshiping it before his eyes. In anger, in disappointment, in shock, he takes the two tablets and throws them down upon the ground, and they shatter into little pieces. And he runs back up Mount Sinai and begs God to forgive him and the Israelites. And our passage says that God instructed Moses to carve a second set of tablets. So Mars, Moses carved two tablets of stone, like the first, and early in the morning he went up on Mount Sinai as God had commanded him, taking the two stone tablets with him. And the Lord Adonai came down in a cloud, and God stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of God. And God passed before him and said, and this is the prayer, the Lord, the Lord, Adonai, Adonai, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, rich in steadfast kindness and truth, extending kindness to the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, who cleanses. The rabbis called this prayer the 13 attributes because they counted 13 distinct names for God within the prayer. In this case, 13 is a lucky number, right? So those 13 names are Adonai, Adonai, the eternal, the eternal, El, a God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, rich in steadfast kindness and rich in truth, extender of kindness to the thousandth generation, one who forgives iniquity, one who forgives transgression, one who forgives sin, and one who cleanses. If you think about this prayer in the context of Exodus, these names of God, these 13 attributes, seem to be reassuring Moses that God will forgive the Israelites for the sin of the golden calf and also that God will forgive Moses for the sin of destroying the first set of the tablets. Despite their transgressions, God is giving them a second chance, allowing Moses to carve a second set of tablets so that the people can still receive the Ten Commandments and Revelation. If you think of this prayer in the context of the High Holy Days, it seems to be reassuring us that God will forgive us for our own transgressions, for our mistakes. That while we may not have done something nearly as dramatic as Moses and the Israelites, we each have had our moments in the past year. Times when we worshiped our own form of false gods, whether money or power or our iPhones, whatever form our golden calves took, and times when we acted impulsively out of anger and disappointment with those that we love who acted in ways that we were not happy with. In the Talmud, the rabbis instruct us to recite this very prayer of the 13 attributes during the High Holy Days. 
Rabbi Jonathan says, whenever Israel sins, let them carry out this service before me and I will forgive them. And Rabbi Judah adds, a covenant, a breach, has been made regarding the 13 attributes that they that recite them to God will never return empty-handed. The rabbis imbue this prayer with a special power, the ability to call to God, to say, God, you are a patient God, so forgive us again this year. The Talmud, the same section, concludes with a question. Why does the text begin with the name of God twice? Right? Why does it repeat Adonai, Adonai, the eternal, the eternal? How can God have two of the same names? And the Talmud answers, God is the eternal before man sins, human sin, and God is the eternal after a human being sins and repents. I think what the text is telling us is that we change. We make mistakes and hopefully we learn from them and ask for forgiveness. But God's love is constant throughout that journey. The eternal before and after as we evolve. This prayer of the 13 attributes provides us with a portrait of God of the high holidays. It's a contrast to the metaphor of God as a distant judge or a lofty king. This God is a personal God, a compassionate, understanding, patient force that embraces us despite our flaws and believes that we have the potential to do better, to be better. In a traditional Slichot service, the 13 attributes are repeated again and again in between each section, like a mantra almost. I think it's to remind us, these are God's names. This is who God is. And also to remind us of the possibility of forgiveness. So that as we enter these days of awe, this intense time of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we are in the right frame of mind. We are ready to be honest and vulnerable, but also to experience moments of real joy and hope, of possibility with newness and new beginnings. In a recent article in Tablet, which is an online Jewish magazine, author Abigail Pergreben describes how boring high holiday services can be. She's not a member of Emmanuel. She lives in New York. But she challenges rabbis at the beginning of her article to make services less rote and less frontal, which is a fair criticism. But she ends her article by also challenging the laity, the Jews in the pews, the average congregant, to make them work to be a little bit more engaged during services. She writes, I've seen how a little exploration opens a world of connection, and how spending the whole day in synagogue gets a whole lot more absorbing with a little background. My hope in exposing you and in studying this text together on this Shabbat was to do just that, to arm you with a little bit more background so that you experience the high holidays 
with that much more richness and depth. As we get closer day by day to the Jewish New Year and to these days of awe, may we surround ourselves with community, with tradition, and with the possibility of change and growth.